Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Sermons podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.crossroadstw.org. Well, how many of y'all are glad to be in church this morning? Amen? Come on, man. I mean, think, thinking of what we just sang to, how many of y'all are glad to be in church this morning? Come on. Uh, oh, the, oh, the cry to, to say, God, show us your glory. Amen. Th- th- that's where we want to go. That what happens here on a church on a Sunday morning is just, it's just a taste of what we'll do for eternity. It's just a glimpse of what we'll do day in and day out as we see Jesus face to face, now veiled, but then in full. What we'll do is we'll be in an angelic chorus simply offering vertical praise unto God because he's worthy of it, because he's matchless, because he's, he's holy. And so we gather here on a Sunday morning not just to, to do the Sunday morning ritual to check off the, the list on the checkbox, but we do it because we want to counter Jesus. And so I, I just want to pray for you, and I want, I want to pray from my heart that, that 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 we just sang would really be the anthem to which wasn't a song with, with dim lights and a band on stage, but that that really is the anthem of our hearts. And so maybe you'll just, just stick your hands out in, in, a, in a posture of response to say, Lord, what do you want to do this morning? Because... My prayer is they would come and intersect your hands, whatever, whatever's in your hands, whatever's was in your heart this morning, some hurting, some full, some confused, and we're just gonna ask God to come intersect us. So let, let's just pray, Father. We, we indeed w- want to see your glory. The matchless, all wonder of your splendor and your holiness. Father, we want to be a people that that cry out in our lives, so will I. And so, Father, this morning, there's hearts here this morning, and and, and they're torn, and and they're broken, and they're hurting, and they're confused, and and they're lost, and and some are joyful, and some are are seeing you do some great things, but wherever we are, would you and your tenderness here this morning intersect with us? Meet with each one of us individually and speak through your word to us. And Father, whatever it is that we're holding on to, would you lovingly take that off and replace it with the fullness of who you are? Oh, may we, may we get to see you this morning. And so Jesus, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, if we said it earlier, uh, we say it again. If this is your first time to Crossroads, we just want to say welcome. Those, those online, those in the house my name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff, uh, and it's always a joy and privilege when I get to partner with our lead pastor to, to bring God's word uh, to you. This morning, we're kind of wrapping up a series called Leverage. Turn to your neighbor and say leverage. leverage. All right, our goal is to leverage our lives for the gospel. So turn to your other neighbor and say, for the gospel. All right, that, that's the whole point. That's the whole reason why we got this, this big leverage thing back here, right? The, the whole point is that, that we would use our lives to, to tip the scale, so that when people see us, what they're really seeing is him, right? That they would see our good deeds and then glorify God in heaven. That in everything you say and everything that you do, wherever you go, that that you would literally say, this is my opportunity, it's my privilege, it's it's my right to to, to leverage and lift Jesus' name high. That, That people would see him in me, and so this whole concept of, of getting in the game, it, it's not a gimmicky thing. You need, you need to know that from us. 
This last core value to get in the game is really, it's the proper response to the proper understanding of the revelation of who Jesus is. That in light of that, that, that my walk and my talk, that they match each other. That I'm not just coming to, to sit and to see, but I'm coming to stand and to serve. I want to embody and embrace and, and live out this, this grand calling that God has for me. So maybe I can, I can paint it this way. Um, uh, Saturday obviously comes before what day? Sunday, okay, so yesterday is typically like game day for families. So how many of y'all were at any sort of ball field or you've spent a Saturday at any ball field, any recital, any track meet, or any type of sporting event for kids or grandkids, all right? So um, now, anybody who's gone to one of those events knows that like, it's not just about the 45 minute game or the hour game, right? It's like a week long endeavor, y'all. You know what I'm talking about? Because on Wednesday, it's we got to make sure that the laundry's done because undoubtedly some kid is missing a red sock or the jersey wasn't washed. And so you're, you're, you're preparing like the whole week, right? Um, you've made a special trip to HEB to get snacks because you need like eight pounds of snacks for all the other kids that are going, right? Um, and then for your husband. Um, You've got a giant cooler that has like a 42-pack case of water because it's, it's, it's almost as hot as the bad place we're going to go to uh, that you could go to. And so you got to have lots of water, right? I mean, Texas is ungodly hot, y'all, right? Just live here in Texas. You're like, I want to I be in glory, right? I don't want to experience this, right? And then the game's at 10, which means you got to be there at like 8.30, which means you got to, you know, get the kids out the door by 7.30, which means you're waking up at 5.30 for a 10 o'clock game, right? It's 45 minutes, right? You've got band-aids on your fingers from, from all the orange slices you've cut up. You've labeled all the sandwiches, peanut butter and jelly, peanut butter and honey, uh, triangle cut, square cut. I mean, you've, you've got it mapped out. You've played Tetris with your trunk just to get all these items into, we're going to a soccer game, but I just got to get it in the trunk, right? I mean, you've got chairs, you've got coolers, and then if you, I mean, now we've got these cool carts and they will, you can put it on the cart, but let's just roll back like 10 years, right? Dad is like throwing his back out to carry six chairs and a cooler and like navigate to the field, right? So, so you're there and, um, and the referee comes out and, and he gets the ball ready or he says play ball or everybody's lined up at the starting line to, to, to start the race and imagine, You've gone through all of that work. And, and so the time comes to start. And imagine if neither team left the bench. Now, I don't, I, I don't know how the Southern sanctification would come out of you, but I, I was born in Indiana, right? So maybe the Southern hospitality isn't as much ingrained in me. But I, oh, no, you didn't. I did not just do all of that so that you could sit over there and eat those orange slices before the game and not play the game. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, would anybody have a little bit of a holy, of holy righteous indignation at this point, right? Like, there's a reason that I came, so that you would actually participate in the game that is on the field. A very silly illustration for a very serious point. God, the creator of the universe, speaks and forms the world into existence. He, he bends down and with his hands begins to, to form man and to, to breathe life into him. 
recognizes that man rebels against him. And so Jesus then steps out of glory, steps onto earth, is rejected from day one to be born in a stable, but, but still pursues the, the, the very people that are rebelling against him. Ridiculed, mocked, oppressed, rejected, eventually led to death, and then the most humiliating death, death on a cross. To three days later, raised from the dead to restore and ransom and to draw us back into a new relationship with him so that we could experience the original design that he had for us. To adopt us as his sons and daughters, to forgive us of our sins, and then to place us on a mission to go live out the life that he desires for us. And God did not do all that so that we could then pass go, collect 200 bucks of our salvation, and then sit in the stands and never play the game. Like there's something that God has called you and me to. He saved us from something, but more importantly, he saved us for something and for someone. And so there's a mission that we're called to live. And so this concept of, of getting in the game is the concept of saying, hey, listen, I'm going to embrace that which God has called me to. The reason he saved me is for something and for someone. And so it's not just I'm getting away from, but I'm running to and towards, and I want people to know who that Jesus is. Now, um, let's play the same scenario a little bit. How many of y'all have had kids? Um, they actually did play the game, but as anybody's child, just they didn't like the game they were playing. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, you wanted your kids to play baseball, and he's out there, and He's playing third base, and rather than put his glove on his hand, his glove is on his head. Y'all know? Maybe that was, you know, your child or grandchild. Um, they're, they're playing soccer, and they're really more entertained with the butterflies that are flying around them than the ball that's around, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're running cross country, and rather than racing people, they're just looking at the trees, just like, just, just running around, you know? And no matter what you do to motivate Every good parent would then bribe, right? But whatever you can do to get your kid to play, like, it doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to work, right? Like, so transparency, my, I have an older sister and uh, she was a traveling gymnast. And so every young kid just wants to follow the, the footsteps of the older siblings. So as a seven-year-old kid, I think I was like, hey, I wanna do gymnastics, Okay. Um, and so I signed up and I saw these guys on like the pommel horses and the rings and they were flipping and they were doing cool stuff and they were like buff. And I'm like, that looks cool. I want to do it. Um, and so I signed up for it and I'll never forget coming home. And the very first day my dad said, how was it? I'm like, dad, this is horrible. I'm like, why didn't you tell me? It's like, I got to stretch. I didn't sign up for stretching. I didn't get to go on the big trampoline. They didn't put me on the rings. And dad, this was, this was important. I, w I was... I was very frustrated as a seven-year-old kid. Dad, there's no other boys in the class. I'm the only boy in the class. And not only did my dad not warn me on the front end, he also didn't tell me, son, just wait five more years and you'll be glad for this. So he didn't help me on either case, right? But here's the deal. No matter what mom and dad could do, and they didn't let me quit. They said, no, you got to finish. We paid for it. You got six weeks. Deal with it. But they couldn't make me love it, right? It's just I had, I had been there, I'd seen it, but, but they, couldn't, they couldn't make me love it just like you can't make your kid love the game. See, here's, here's the, the reality about this morning. I, I can't make you fall in love with Jesus. 
And this text today is, is a text that I'm just asking the Lord to do something that, that only he can do because we talk about getting in the game and, and a pastor can get up here and be real fired up, why you should be in the game? And you're just like, eh, it's like gymnastics. But, but, but unless somehow the, the Holy Spirit like tugs on your heart in a, in a way that is so gr- more grand than what I could do to grip your heart to see him for who he is. The, 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 right, the right sight of Jesus leads into right living for Jesus. When I see him for who he fully is, it then propels me to say there's no other response than the response we're gonna see in our text today. So open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter six. We, we, we've gotta just walk through this text. And, and, and I pray that the spirit would, would open your eyes to something new about Jesus. And let me just say this, there's probably some of, of you in the room or, or watching online and, and you don't know Jesus. As a matter of fact, your, your thought of Jesus is, is not grand. It may not be negative, it could be, but it's just maybe indifferent. And let me just say that this is a place uh, that we want to invite you in. Like, you need to hear this. Nobody started loving Jesus. Like nobody came out of the womb and we automatically were raising our hand to worship Jesus. That's not the human nature. And so this church is a place that we wanna invite you in to say, listen, we know Jesus and he's awesome. He's the greatest person ever to live and he has a great plan for you. And so come on in and, and check out who he is. And so my prayer is that you wouldn't feel pushed aside, but you'd be drawn into say, hey, listen, I wanna get to know who this God is. And for the other half of us that, that have known God for a long time, the callousness of our hearts to, to wrestle with what we know intellectually and what we live out applicationally on a day-to-day basis is always a struggle. It's, all, it's always a wrestle. And I was having a conversation with a buddy of mine this week and I was just sharing that, that if I'm honest, what is happening in this text hadn't been happening the last few weeks for me. I know Jesus, but it wasn't leading me to like daily intimately connect with him. And so God is just as much speaking to me as he's speaking to you here this morning. It's, it's not a above then, it's us together going after God. And so I thought, what better way than with no points just to read the text and let's just, let's just see Jesus today. And then let God's spirit do what he wants to do. So here we are, Isaiah chapter six, starting in verse one. Let's just read the text together and then we'll break it down here this morning. It says, in the year that King who? Seeing if you're following along, King Uzziah, well done. That King Uzziah died, I what? I saw the Lord. I mean, that's our prayer this morning. Not just a text of old for Isaiah, but a text that for all of us here in this moment, even if we know Jesus, that we would see him again, that I I saw the Lord. Notice how he sees him. I I want you to, to put yourself into this text. Don't just read it as if it's there, but literally imagine being here. It says, I saw the Lord sitting upon the what? The throne. He describes it. It is what? High and lifted up. And the train of his robe, it did what? It filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two they covered his face. With, with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And they called to one another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his what? Glory. And at that, the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with what? I mean, are you, are you seeing it? So notice his response. Accurately and appropriately, Isaiah said, woe is me, for, for I am lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, 
And I dwell in the midst of a people who are unclean. For my eyes have seen the what? The King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I said, then I said, after all of that, the only natural conclusion, the only, the only right response, Romans chapter 12 says, it's, it's your reasonable act of service. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice. The only accurate response is this that Isaiah says here in the end of verse eight, here I am, send me. I, I, I wonder what would be uh, your response or my response to whatever the Lord's pricking at your heart here this morning. Because God's asking you and I a question like he's asking Isaiah. And then he wants a response just like he saw a response from Isaiah. And Isaiah w- w- was so captured by the splendor and the majesty, this, this matchless splendor, this majestic glory, this unparalleled position and unrivaled power. I mean, Isaiah sees Jesus as the name that is above every name, that at his name every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Isaiah sees that he's worthy of all blessing and all glory and all honor. I mean, Isaiah, I look, I see him, and he's sitting upon a throne, his rightful place to rule, whether you've given him authority or not, it's his to give, not yours to grant. He's got authority. I guess we could ask ourselves, is he the one driving or have we, have we taken over the wheel from him? Sitting on a throne, he's the Supreme Court, the legislator, the chief executive, there is no appeal. He has all control. He's sitting there and he's not fretting, he's not worrying. Because the context says in the year that who died? Uzziah. Nation of Israel has, after Solomon through Rehoboam, they've been divided into two camps. Northern, uh, 10 tribes of Israel. Southern, two tribes of Judah. So Uzziah was the king over the southern tribe of Judah 52 years. And it was their golden years. It was their prosperity years. Things were good. But all of a sudden, those things that were good are gone. Can anybody relate to that? A little bit of upheaval in your own personal life. We can look at our nation and see that, that, man, we're just wrestling through some things, are we not? And so we wonder what's going on. We wonder what's happening. We wonder, well, why is this and, and where is God? And, and I'll tell you where God is. He's sitting on his throne. He's not sweating. He's not worrying. He's like, oh my goodness, the COVID-19, it came out. How did they get that? I didn't know that that was gonna happen in their in their political climate. I didn't know this was going to be the way that the stock market would go. And he's not, he's not worried. He's sitting here in ultimate authority with ultimate power because by him, for him, through him, and to him, all things exist. He's the one that spoke the world into existence. Isaiah later would say this as he describes God in chapter 40. He would describe him this way. Who's measured the waters in the hollows of his hand? Or marked off the heavens in a span? Who's enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure? Or weighed the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him counsel? 
whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as dust on the scales. All the nations are nothing before him and they are counted by him as less than anything in emptiness. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness will you compare him? The, the vast holiness and majesty to which Isaiah sees with his eyes and hears with his ears. You know, it's, it's funny, this morning I was thinking about this because Isaiah has a very close encounter to see Jesus. And so I thought um, I would attempt to look intellectual this morning by putting on my glasses. Where are my glasses people at, right? How many of all wear glasses or contacts, okay? So we just try to look intellectual or we just try to look like Clark Kent to be Superman, right? Either way. Um, but do, you, do y'all remember when you got glasses? Okay, did anybody fight the fact that they needed them? Like just a little bit, you know what I mean? My mom came in one day, um, she was vacationing in South Florida and she's like, son, I, I think you need glasses. <laughs> mom, <laughs> I don't need glasses. Like I got 20-20 vision. And she's like, well, then why are you squinting at the TV? I'm like, I, I ain't squinting at the TV. It was some dust particles in the air. Like I'm good, right? So she goes on trying to explain why I need glasses. So eventually mom says, so all right, I'll go get checked out. Um, and so I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm gonna impress the eye doctor so much that they're gonna be baffled at how good my eyes are. Can anybody relate to this? Like, you're like, I don't need glasses, I'm good, and I'm just gonna prove it to the world and then to my mother that I didn't need glasses, right? And so you get there and um, you're like, you know they're gonna have you read off the list. And so I'm like, man, go to line like six. Like, I'm good. Forwards, backwards, every other letter, like what you need. And she goes to line three. And I like start to sweat. If you mess up on line three, like... You in trouble, right? And um, so she's like, hey, I need you to read line three. And so it's like confidently and, you know, arrogantly. I'm like, okay, well, let me read it. And then I like, I pause. I'm like, man, we're on line three. Like, I really, like, and she, it was very evident very quick. Like, I, I needed some glasses. Like, my ability to see clearly just wasn't there. And so then she puts the machine up to the face, right? And she's like clicking. There's, you all know the clicking thing that happens. It's like, click, click. Can you see better? Is it one or is it two? <laughs> click, click. Can you see better now? Is it three or is it four? And then she'll click, click. And she goes back. It's like, okay, so is it one or was it two? I'm like, did you not just write that down? Like, obviously you're showing me I can't see and that I need help, right? But I walk out of there with a set of glasses or contacts that help me see clearly what I couldn't see before. And it's the Holy Spirit is going to be the only thing that can do the click in your heart and in my heart to help us see who God is as he is. Not the image that we create, not the thing that we want to project on or the way society says, but what does his word say? Here, Isaiah says, I see the Lord sitting on a throne, and he describes it. All power, all majesty, all control, and this throne is high and lifted up. Like, like, hey, King Uzziah, he was a good king, but, but his throne doesn't even reach anywhere near the bottom of my throne. Like, this throne is high and lifted up. Like, this throne is the one that, that has unparalleled contention because nobody can compete with God. It is one that's high and lifted up and, and one to where the train of his robe literally fills the temple. 
I mean, could you imagine a bride walking down the aisle and they start the song, here comes the bride, you know, that little dance, right? And so she's walking down the aisle. And then imagine if like you heard people start to rumble because as she walks by your row, her train literally like pushes you out. Like, could you just imagine the scene? And the bride keeps walking down and people are like flooding because the, the, the train of the rope is covering row one and row two and row three and row four. And by the time she gets to the altar, there's literally no room for anybody in the church. And Isaiah says that, that that's the scene here. The train of his robe, it's filling the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. The first time in, in scripture, the only time in scripture that we get this, this picture of these fiery ones. And we don't really know a lot about them, but we're told probably the most important thing that we need to know. Notice how it describes them. It says, with, with two, they, with these six wings, two, they covered their face. God, God is so holy and so majestic and so full of wonder, I can't even be in his presence. And yet with two, they cover their feet because I can't even have him look upon me without thinking that life would be ended. And, and Isaiah sees this and, he, and he's hearing them as they, as they call to one another, holy, 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 this, this majestic pitch back and forth as they describe who God is. He's holy, he's other than. We, we can describe holiness and we try to describe it and then we just, we run into problems because there's no words that can accurately describe the fullness of who God is. So we fall back to that he's holy. He, he's separate then. He's, he's other than like us. He's, he's different than us. And they're singing it back and forth. And they then go on to say that the whole earth is, is full of his glory. His revealed holiness is his glory. We were created to bring him glory, Isaiah 43, 7, which is why then in Romans it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the what? Glory of God. And I never understood that as a kid. Well, what do you mean I've fallen short of the glory of God? I have fallen short as a, as a creature being created with one purpose to bring God glory and I've missed it because of my sin. And Isaiah is given this, this grand picture. I mean, look at verse four. It says the foundations of the threshold shook. I mean, I mean you, you might've been in a loud concert before where you felt like the building, but th this would have put that uh, like on, on backlash because literally the foundations of the building are shaking as they scream out and cry out and point to Jesus. It, it, there's a shaking that's happening. And then this, this act of sacrifice and temple worship where the house is filled with smoke. I mean, can you imagine that scene? And that's not just a scene for Isaiah yesterday. It's a scene for us here today. That's our God. That, that's who he is. And I don't know what your view of God has been or is currently, but, but I pray that this blows your, your thoughts out of the water. That, that in light of that, like, like the most powerful, majestic, incomparable creator of the world, the king and the Lord. And Isaiah, in verse five, has one response, because there's only one response when you get to see Jesus for who he is. And the sole response is, woe is me. And, and woe is just, is just 
a like fill-in utterance of an expression. Like, woe, woe is me. Like, in light of that holiness, in light of that power, in light of that majesty, like, woe, woe is me, for I am lost, and I'm a man of unclean lips. I, I mean, when I see God on the throne, I see my, my sin in the mirror, and then I put myself in the dirt. There's no other response from a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? Because my eyes have seen the King, the Adonai, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord of hosts. And so notice what happens. It says, and one of the seraphim flew to me, having taken in his hand a burning coal he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, this has touched your lips. Notice what it says then. Your guilt is what? Taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Like, can I tell you that that's the gospel? Like what Jesus did through his shed blood to literally take away your sins, that in light of a God that majestic, that holy, that other than, that the flip side is that he would even care or dare to reach out to you and to me is scandalous at its core. That he would love us in the midst of our rebellion, that he would pursue us in the midst of our running away from him, knowing that we couldn't bridge the gap to get to him, but he would come down to us, knowing that our, our deeds are like filthy rags, that our hearts are sinfully wicked, and yet God would step in and say, I love you so much that I sent my son Jesus to die for you, to buy you back, to, to ransom you back so that you could be made clean from your sin and then put back into right fellowship with me. It's, it's the gospel, and maybe somebody here this morning just, just needs to hear the truth of the gospel that God loves you, wants a relationship with you, and he died for you. And he forgives you for whatever junk you've gone through, whatever junk you're living in. And he's got something great that he's calling you to. Samuel, in 1 Samuel, would write this, there is none holy like the Lord, there is none beside thee. Isaiah later says, to whom will you compare me, or to whom that I should like him? Hosea says, I am, God says in Hosea, I am God and not man. I'm the holy one in your midst. And that holy one wants to come intersect with you this morning to provide that cleansing and healing so that, notice the progression, as, he see, as Isaiah sees God, he recognizes his own sin in the mirror and then it leads him to this response of a calling. Because from that, God then says, Look at Isaiah, verse eight, says, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Hey, there's this voice, this one that's crying out, whom, whom shall I send? Who's gonna go for us? I wonder what the Spirit's voice is saying in your heart right now. I wonder what he's tugging you towards or asking you to or calling you for. Because Isaiah hears it. And what we can do is we can choose to hear what the Lord's saying to us or we can reject it and push it away. But God's trying to speak nonetheless. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He who what, opens the door and lets me in to him, that's what he wants to do for you. And so he has this question, and I don't, I don't, I don't know the question that God has for your heart today, but I believe he's asking us something. What will be our response? What's the response? The natural response is that, Lord, here I am, send me. 
Lord, Lord, whatever you have for me, like I'm all in. Like whatever it is, God, like, like you don't have to twist my arm because I've seen you for who you are and you're so majestic and you're so holy and your glory is so, is so all striking that I just, I just have to. I went to a Houston Texans football game uh, on Thursday. Do we have any Texans football fans? Any Texans football fans? Okay, well, okay, when I asked the Aggie fans last week, everybody shot their hand way high. The Texans fans were kind of like this, right? So here's the deal. Um, grew up, I grew up in Indiana, college at a Moody Bible Institute in downtown Chicago, and then South Florida for 13 and a half years. Um, South Floridians, Floridians in general, they have absolutely zero um, state pride. As a matter of fact, it's actually in the negatives, okay? So y'all like love Texas, and then you like love, love Texas, and they, they could care less about Florida. They just don't care. Um, so I went to the game thinking it would just be like a lame professional game, because that was my perspective, until I start walking through the parking lot, and people are tailgating. I'm like, well, that's unique, because nobody in South Florida tailgates. They show up like midway through the first quarter, because then the Dolphins stink, and they're not going to win. Um, and then we're seeing this section called the bullpen. So if you've ever been to the Texan Stadium, there's this bullpen. And again, I'm just expecting everybody to sit down, show up late, and not cheer. But everybody stood up almost the entire game. Like they, and even though the Texans stunk and didn't play good, they still cheered. And then I looked around and I'm like, is it Halloween? Because why are all these people like decked out in these like crazy outfits? Like that just doesn't happen in South Florida. I'm like, what is going on? Like there's this there's this state pride, there's this excitement for that the natural byproduct, I don't believe any of those fans were told you have to wear that at the Texans game. They weren't like conjured up like, will you stand for the game or will you cheer loud at the game? The natural overflow of their passion for Texas and the Texans football, it led them to respond in a way that was so radically different, it drew my attention. And that ought to be the same with the church. Like, not that we're stirring up in you, but the Spirit's stirring around in your heart in such a way that you naturally say, Lord, whatever it is you're calling me to, or whatever it is you're asking me of, I'm willing to do it. Matter of fact, I'm just, I'm just gonna be like that fan that just totally decks myself out. I'm gonna be so, it's not even over the top, it's just biblical, y'all. Like, that's, it's just that. Like, it, the love, it's just biblical love like Jesus loved. The forgiveness, it's just biblical forgiveness like Jesus forgave. The fact that we, that we get in the game, we're not sitting there on the sideline uh, not wanting to play or, or, or sitting there chasing dandelions and, and butterflies. But we're like, man, I wanna play. Like, in light of what God's, who he is and what he's done for me, my natural byproduct is I'm all in. My natural response is, man, God, I'm running hard after you. Which is why Isaiah says, here I am. Notice that Isaiah says, here I am, send me, without knowing the conditions to which God was going to send him. Like, we got to be clear on that. Because when you say that you're all in for Jesus, and God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in the game for you, you don't necessarily know the way the assignment will go. And in light of who he is on the throne, we don't really have a choice to say yes or no. We don't really have a choice to say, well, I don't want to go there. And you can try uh, to, to do the Jonah thing, but if you've never wrote, written, uh, read the Bible, just read the story of Jonah and just see if the Jonah principle works. Let me just tell you this, cliff note version, it doesn't work, all right? And so God will get you where he wants you to get you. And, and the call that Isaiah had, if you keep reading, God says, and he said, go and say to the people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, 
and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. Okay, I mean, like, the call that God had for Isaiah was, was a very intense one. But that didn't scare, like, Isaiah didn't need to worry about any of that because in light of the matchless holiness of who God is, he's like, it doesn't matter what you're calling me to. It doesn't matter the, 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 the oppression that I'll face or the difficulty that will proceed. I'm just saying, Lord, whatever it is for you, I'm in. Whatever you have for me, I'm, I'm in the game. And I think that's what God's calling you and I to here this morning. He's calling us to get in the game. It would be like that scene, how many of y'all remember watching uh, the greatest basketball player to ever face and grace this earth, Michael Jordan, to play the game? How many of y'all remember that, right? Don't get confused with LeBron James because he's just a wannabe. That's why he had to be Space Jam too, right? Um, but Michael Jordan, right? And the Bulls, and, and they, would, they would play that, that music, right? And that guard, a 5'7 point guard from North Carolina, number 23, Michael Jordan. A little taller than 5'7, but whatever, right? But here's the deal. And like the crowd would go nuts and he, Michael didn't just like walk on the game, on the court. Michael stood up and, and in an emphatic, exuberant excitement, ran on the court and smacked his teammates a high five and rallied up to play. I, I didn't go to the Houston Texan game to watch a bunch of 300 pound linemen in tights bend over the entire game. All right, that's not the purpose, right? The huddle simply gives the play to which the football team goes and executes. So they huddle up so that they can see what play do we need to run against the schemes of the defense to move the ball down the field to the end zone. The church is the same thing. It's simply the huddle to which we get the playbook. Y'all know God's got a pretty good playbook, huh? Y'all know that God knows what the enemy's defensive schemes are, and so he's given us a perfect playbook to navigate the blitzes and the attacks of the enemy so that we can move the ball down the field so that people can see Jesus, come to know him, and be saved by him. And so all we gotta do is follow the book. But it doesn't do any good if we get in the huddle and we hear it and we never go execute it. Because because we can have the perfect play call. Delay of game. Perfect play call. Delay of game. Perfect play call. Delay of game. Because the enemy has tricked us to think that this is it. He's tricked us to think that this, this right here is what God wants from us. He wants so much more, y'all. He wants so much more. It's so bigger than this. This whole series is not just about us trying to recruit people to serve the city. That's a great thing. We ought to, we ought to be all about that. But it's bigger than Crossroads, y'all. I'm seeing teal shirts and we got major needs in kids ministry. We got major needs to, to work. We had one guy working two cameras in the first service and we got technicians in the back. I mean, we got some major needs within this church, but let me just say this, this whole sermon is not just that you can come and serve at Crossroads. That would just be a byproduct. Let's, let's, let's serve what God's calling us to, to reach the world for Jesus. We can't, we can't all serve everywhere, but we can all serve somewhere. And numerically, the amount of people that we have within this church, if you think within the church, there actually should never be a need because there are way more people than what there are spots for. 
But then if we're ever gonna change our community, if we're ever gonna change our city, if we're ever gonna change the woodlands for Jesus Christ, it's a bunch of people, not just at Crossroads, but at all the surrounding churches under the banner of Jesus, adopted by him, that say, listen, God, I see you, I know you, and so my only proper response is to go all in for you. My only proper response is to say, I'm, I'm taking it to the streets. From the sanctuary to the streets. So that people can come to know that God that they would see our good deeds and glorify God in heaven. So what's he calling you to? What's he asking of you? And I'll just say this, and he has the right to, to demand and to, to ask what everybody does so, so graciously in a way that it blesses us when we serve him. And that just doesn't make any sense, but that's just the goodness of our God. Because his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And it's a joy to serve that God. It's a joy to serve that King. It's a joy to have the opportunity and the privilege and the right to say, I get to serve Him in light of my sin, in light of my brokenness, in light of who I am. God would, He would choose me. That's just wicked scandalous, but it's awesome. And so God, yeah, here I am. Send me. So Heavenly Father, my prayer for our church here this morning is that you would stir such a deep, awestruck wonder for your matchless glory and the truth of your holiness, that we would see you afresh in such a way today that it would break us, falling on our knees, understanding our sin and the weight that it carries recognizing what you did to cleanse us from that and then standing in a jubilant response to, to run out, that we, we get to run out of these doors and run into the city and take all that, we, all that we got from the playbook today and live it out and lavish it out on the world. Then we come back next week and we do it all over again. Because Father, we want to see our neighborhoods and our schools and our teams and our city councils transformed by the great power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're broken, we're frail, and we're not perfect, but we want to be available. So Father, we started with our hands open saying, take what is not needed on and move it out and replace it with you. And we end the same way, fill my heart and my cup with you. And may the world see your matchless splendor. It's in your name we pray. Amen.